Back in 1966, the old Boston Traveler newspaper published a piece by syndicated columnist Hal Boyle. Are you looking for a profitable hobby or a way to earn post-retirement income? Boyle asked. Well, why not become a paid listener? It's a new and wide open field. Hardly anybody in America listens anymore. <laughs> the odd thing is, while no one is willing to listen, everybody is more than willing to talk. That means there must be a tremendous market for good listeners. Why not tap it? Why not rent your ear? This is my goal. I'm going to start a new career as a listener. Whenever anyone grabs me by the lapels and starts wagging his jawbone, I'll silently hand him a printed folder which says, you are speaking to a man who earns his living by listening. So please button your mouth unless you are willing to pay my rates. <laughs> which are as follows. Listening to comments on the weather, baseball, and politics, 50 cents an hour. Listening to husbands complain about their wives, 75 cents an hour. Listening to wives complain about their husbands, ditto. Listening to campaign speeches and periodically breaking into loud cheers, $1 an hour. Listening at cocktail parties, $2 an hour, after, $2 an hour before midnight, $4 after midnight. <laughs> Listening to gossip, no charge if it's about anyone I know. <laughs> Otherwise, $1 an hour. Listening to your troubles, $15 a morning, money to be refunded if you spend all afternoon listening to my troubles. <laughs> Standby rate for waiting while you make up your mind what you want to talk about, 10 cents a minute. Pay up or shut up. What do you think of the idea? What? You didn't hear a word I said? See what I mean? Nobody listens. Now you can tell it's an old column by the bargain prices Boyle charges. <laughs> In the nearly half century since, our listening abilities have probably not improved. Families split up and grow estranged. We leave behind the friends and neighbors of childhood. More and more of us live alone. We walk down the street or stand on the subway with iPods plugged in our ears, daring anyone to interact with us. By the way, this morning, looking for the lyrics to What Do I Do, the song I sang with the children earlier, I googled What Do I Do? And you know how Google automatically fills in the most popular searches as you type? Well, as soon as I typed What Do I Do, Google offered the most popular search, What Do I Do With My Life? <laughs> what do I do? With my, can you imagine Googling what do I do with my life? <laughs> Maybe you have. <laughs> Maybe that's why you're here this morning. I think the UUA should take a Google ad on what do I do with my life. <laughs> Click here. But the second most popular search, right behind what do I do with my life, was what do I do if my iPod freezes. <laughs> I figure when the iPod question overtakes the life question as the most popular Google search, we'll know we're in trouble. In our workplaces, in our families, and yes, in our congregations, we hurt one another by failing to listen well, by missing the meaning beneath the words, the feeling beneath the meaning, the goodness beneath the feeling. 
Most of us, including me, think we are better listeners than we are. Because listening is not just hearing. It's bearing witness to another's experience. It demands not just attention, but empathy. To really listen to someone, we must surrender our self-absorption, quiet our minds, and enter deeply into the world of another soul. Psychologist Carl Rogers knew the power of empathic listening. When I truly hear a person, he wrote, and the meanings that are important to him at that moment, hearing not simply his words, but him. And when I let him know that I have heard his own private, personal meanings, many things happen. There is, first of all, a grateful look. He feels released. He wants to tell me more about his world. He surges forth in a new sense of freedom. He becomes more open to the process of change. Almost always when a person realizes he has been deeply heard, his eyes moisten. I think in some real sense he is weeping for joy. It's as though he were saying, thank God, somebody heard me. Someone knows what it's like to be me. I tried going back through that quote and substituting person and him and her and his or her and he or she and it was a catastrophe. So understand that he was writing in his time. Everyone has a deep yearning to be understood. When we are genuinely listened to, we realize that we are taken seriously, that we are known, that we matter. Empathic listening opens the door to healing. Being listened to can mean the difference between feeling accepted and feeling isolated and unworthy. A child who is listened to develops confidence. An adult who is listened to can stay sane. Not being listened to, says psychologist Michael Nichols, not being listened to is hard on the heart. Here at First Parish, we're committed to beloved community. We stand on the side of love. We are called to make justice in the wider world. But we are called as well to take care of each other. Our circle of care must embrace each one of us with compassion. This morning we begin a new program of lay-led pastoral care. We'll welcome five pastoral associates chosen for their gifts of compassionate listening and trained in the pastoral arts. And we'll launch a wider circle of care that will enlist the time, skill, and generosity of many more of you. Created by parishioners, this program inspires me in two ways. First, it will comfort those among us who are sick, homebound, lonely, or discouraged. There are many more such people in our church family than one or two professional ministers can attend to. My greatest sadness as a minister is my inability to respond effectively 
to everyone in need. With this new program, I will continue to make as many visits and phone calls as I can. Indeed, I will probably make more because our pastoral associates will identify needs of which I'm unaware. Our church's ministry, the capacity of our community to care for its members, will be multiplied. Second, I know firsthand how the challenges and rewards of ministry work a spiritual transformation upon the minister. Ministry has made me a better person, more compassionate, more humble, more connected to the divine in every human soul. Our pastoral associates will not only be serving others, they will be stretching and deepening themselves. They will find, as I have found, that each of us is utterly inadequate to the task of ministry. And yet each of us is also enough because we show up because we care and because we do what we can. The pastoral associates will remind all of us that ours is a shared ministry. They won't displace my role as minister nor yours as congregants, but they will guide and organize our mission to care for one another. I'll meet with them every month to review the pastoral needs of the congregation. We'll do our best to reach out to those we know are struggling with illness, loss, unemployment, or depression. The pastoral associates will also coordinate what we're calling the circle of care, congregants who volunteer to offer a meal, a ride, help with shopping or house cleaning, something tangible and time limited to others in need. Of course, we will rely on you to alert us when members of our community need attention. You can speak to me or any of the pastoral associates or email pastoralcare at firstparishcambridge.org. You can let us know on a green pew card or beginning next week you can make a note in the care and prayer book that will be available during candles of joy and sorrow and also before and after worship. This pastoral care program, of course, will not ensure that every need is met. Not every need can be met. But it will expand the reach and deepen the intention of our caring. I now invite forward our new pastoral associates. Please come forward as I say your name. Janice Darling. Cushing Giese, Greer Merwin, Maury Mullen, and Jane Sturdivant.